Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the Just and the Suffering podcast featuring New York sports star from Long Suffering Fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. I am back in the studio this week after two weeks on the road, and we have a lot of football to discuss today. I'm be joined again by Joe D'Alizio from Fansided. We're going to break down the end of the NFL regular season and look ahead to the NFL playoffs. Joe is also going to stick around for the Show Me the Money NFL Picks Playoff Challenge. I will let everyone know how the regular season challenge ended up. We're going to make our picks for all four playoff games in a brand new format. I will break that all down later in the show. I'll also tell you why I'm concerned about the New York Jets and why I'm concerned that they don't know what they're doing here and they might not get this hire right, which is one of the most important hires in the history of the franchise. We'll get to all that, but first, we're going to get started with a little college football. Talk about my thoughts on the college football playoff games last weekend. All that coming up right after this. Think of a little clean pocket, puts it in the flat. There goes Jacobs. Head of steam. Lowers the shoulder and scores. It is personal. It's emphatic. And it's incredibly lopsided. All right, and we're back with week's opening tip. That call you just heard, courtesy of ESPN's Chris Fowler. They summarized pretty much the entire college football playoff, which was not very competitive at all. Simply put, these games were a disaster. Let's start with Notre Dame and Clemson. That game, I clicked that on. It was clear from the jump. Notre Dame did not belong in the same football field as Clemson. Trevor Lawrence from Clemson gave him a lot of credit. He was excellent. He made a ton of great throws. He went 27 of 39 for 327 yards, three touchdowns, no picks, hitting throws down the seams, down the sideline, and looked like a guy who's going to be an NFL prospect in a couple of years. He'll be fun to watch. But the biggest one here is Notre Dame. They were inept on offense. They could not move the football. Clemson outgained them 538 to 248 on offense. That's over 2 to 1 yards disparity in favor of Clemson. Outrushed them 211 to 88. Not very good, folks. And again, Notre Dame under Brian Kelly does not show up in a big game. And it's very frustrating to the casual like me who want to watch college football and be entertained. It's not entertaining watching one team completely wipe the floor with the other. And this is one of the four best teams in the country? Really? I don't buy it. I saw Georgia in the SEC championship game give Alabama a game and dominate for large stretches for collapsing late. I would much rather have seen Georgia in that football game because Georgia would have given Clemson a fight. I would have rather seen Ohio State. And yes, they had a bad loss in there against Purdue. But you know what? They dominated their bowl game. Dwayne Haskins looks like he'd be a future NFL star. I would have much rather seen one of those two teams play than Notre Dame. Just because Notre Dame beat Michigan week one and did not lose against a relatively soft schedule compared to the likes of Georgia and Alabama, they should not get an automatic trip to the college football playoff. In the March Madness, which is the closest selection formula right now, they don't reward teams based solely on the fact they went undefeated or they have one or two losses. They will put the toughest teams at the top of the bracket. Notre Dame has not proven to be one of those teams in a long time. And until they do, until they consistently demonstrate they can blow people out and be competitive with the best teams in the sport, I don't want to see them near the playoff. I don't care if they go undefeated. Show that you are one of the best four teams and you can be in the playoff. It should be about that. Not just, oh, we went undefeated. 
and we should be in. Nonsense. Earn it. The other game, Alabama-Oklahoma, that was also a disappointment. Alabama was up 28-0 before you could blink. Give Oklahoma credit. Unlike Notre Dame, who basically packed up their ball and went home at halftime. Oklahoma fought back in that game. Kyler Murray created the illusion to be a game with his play. He threw for over 300 yards, two touchdowns, ran for 109, another score. But Alabama was simply too talented on both sides of the football. Alabama's game plan literally was Oklahoma went down and scored. Alabama took eight minutes, scored a touchdown. The Oklahoma defense is just way too porous because it plays in that joke of a league as the Big 12 where you win every game 60 to 50. That's not going to cut against a team like Alabama with its pro-style pro offense and its big physical defense. This time possession this game, Alabama out, held the ball 36 minutes to Oklahoma's 24. And as a result, they are now through. They set up a title game with Clemson. This is the fourth straight time in the playoff. Remember, they've only been five playoffs. Fourth in a row, we get Alabama-Clemson. Third of those, that's the title game. I think this is terrible for college football. Don't get me wrong, this will be a great football game. Alabama and Clemson are clearly the two best teams in the country. But it's very boring watching the same two teams go at it again and again and again and again. The novelty wears off after a while. This is why I can't get into the NBA. Because I'm sick of seeing the same three or four teams competing for a title every year. I like a little more parity. I like having teams emerge and be in the mix here. And that apathy is coming through in terms of the secondary market. Tickets for the final. I saw this today, I believe, on ESPN. Tickets for the final, which is being played in Santa Clara on Monday at Levi Stadium. Their average ticket price is $135. So you can get up on StubHub for as low as $115 to get in the building. The face value to get in on the average ticket is $475. That is clearly a sign that this game does not have much appeal. Now, I get part of it is because this is on the West Coast. The Oakland-San Francisco area is not a big college sports market. It is much more invested in the pro teams. I also get this is a large hike for the Alabama and Clemson fan bases because you're basically asking both to go across the country on a week's notice to be at this football game. And they've all been there before. It's not as novel as it was the first time or the second time. That's a problem. We need new blood in this thing. And expanding to eight is not the answer. Expanding to eight just overloads the game. There's no reason college football players should be playing 16-game season like the pros do. The pros say that 16 is too many is just enough games. For college, with student-athletes who are supposed to be students, getting them a 16-game season is way too much. What we need to do is do a better job of getting the right teams in the playoff. Notre Dame should not have been there. Oklahoma should have been the three seed. Georgia should have been the four. You would have had two competitive football games, and if they got through to Alabama Clemson again, so be it. But this sport needs more competitiveness at the top. Expand A is not the answer. Just get better teams in the playoff and make this happen. Then you'll get the guys like me who were not watching much college football to watch more of it. It's a foregone conclusion that Alabama is going to be there because they have not missed a playoff yet in five years, which should not be possible when you're turning over the roster every year in college football. You need more excitement in this sport for me to get me invested in it. Simply watching to see which prospects are going to play in the NFL for the next like 10 years is not exciting to me. I want good competitive games, and I don't get that a lot of the time. 
That's why it's a turnout to me. I think that's an issue that college football has. It's got to deal with for a while now until they can figure out teams that can compete with Alabama and Clemson on a yearly basis. Up next, we're going to talk NFL playoffs with Joe D'Aloisio, break down the headlines in Week 17, Black Monday, award predictions, all that good stuff right after this. NFL is watching. A fourth and ten, and here they come. Mayfield's pass is intercepted by Mosley. And the Ravens are going to take the division. Hearts are broken in Pittsburgh. All right, and we're back on the Just and the Suffering podcast, back in the studio this week after a couple weeks on the road. Decided to bring in one of my favorite guests of all time. We have talked to him a couple of times this NFL season. Back with me today, Joe D'Aloisio, covers the league for Fansided. Joe, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, as always. Always love coming on the Just and the Suffering podcast. We much appreciate you become kind of our NFL insider in a sense. So before we get started, how are your holidays? They were great. It was quick. Um, I feel like I need another vacation after that brief vacation that we just had with the holidays. Uh, I don't know. It was just so much running around and doing so many different things every single day that it just flew by, and now we're back here. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this podcast, just a little inside podcasting for everybody who was wanting to hear. I mean, this the last I taped here was the 10th, so like... It's been a while. It's been a while. I've been out of the studio. I've been meeting people up. Before I blink, it's January 2nd. I'm like, what happened? Exactly. It <laughs> happened so quickly, but now at least back in the studio, back with all the good stuff, so you could uh, continue to continue uh, where you left off. Yeah, and the playoffs are here, which is always fun. I can't believe it. I mean, I was. Mm-hmm. I think the last time we spoke, we were talking about coaches that may be fired and who is on the hot seat, and here we are. Many coaches gone new coaches possibly coming in. So I can't believe we're already at this point. I mean, 17 weeks ago feels like a... like a Eternity. Like a, like a, but not even an eternity, though. It just feels like it happened so quick. The snap of my fingers and the season's over. Like, as a Green Bay fan, as a Jet fan, you're a Jet fan, I'm a Green Bay fan, now it's draft mode. You know, both of us are looking for new head coaches, but now it's, you know, head coach, then draft mode, whereas if you're in the postseason, you have a lot to root for still. Yeah, the last time you actually were here, we talked about the Miami Miracle week after week 14. That feels like a lifetime ago, too. Oh, my God, yeah. <laughs> and that's one of the best plays of this NFL season. Yeah, we heard a great play, too. I mean, I intro of the segment with Jim Nance, Tony Romo on the call for CBS, the pick to end the game from Baltimore in week 17 to cleanse the AFC North. What was your big headline coming out of week 17? Uh that that's a tough question. Um I was really surprised at the fact of how many teams that already had things that were kind of locked up, how aggressive they were, um meaning the Cowboys, meaning Seattle, uh, Seattle and even Chicago. But on the flip side, um it was important for them for all three of those teams to really come out and Win that last game, even though it didn't mean anything. They're playing. You're playing your division rivals. You want to go out there and win. You want to end the season on a good note. Um, but some things that were most surprising to me, week 17 to wrap up the year, the Bills, Josh Allen, water performance, five total touchdowns, three through the air, two running. I thought that was that was impressive and. Really, he's starting to. You're, he he really towards the end of the season started to 
to get on people's radars for how talented in the, the entire package that he has. Um, you look at the Lions putting up 31 points on the Green Bay Packers and shutting them out. I thought that was wow. The other uh, thing that I thought was pretty interesting in Week 17 was just the AFC North title race in general. The uh, the Steelers just hanging on to beat the Bengals 16-13. to And on the flip side, the Ravens just holding off the Cleveland Browns 26-24. to Yeah, the Browns look like they're going to be a force next year in that division. They came on red hot down the stretch. Yeah, I mean, they put Baker Mayfield in, and a lot changed, and a lot changed right away. And credit to Greg Williams, who took over and kind of did what he had to do. I'm not sure what, you know, he completely switched this team around compared to uh, how it was ran by Hugh Jackson. So this is a team that has a ton of young pieces, not just at the quarterback position, which is the most important position, but all around, this is a team that's going to be here for a while. Yeah. One of the interesting things about watching week 17 play out and pity to you fantasy leagues who decide to play in week 17, which is a travesty because you never know who's going to show up and actually play in week 17. Like, the Jets were a no-show in New England. They didn't bother showing up for that game. The Giants showed up to play Dallas and played very well. It's like you never know who's going to play, who's not going to. I have a rule when it comes to fantasy football. If you want me to be in your league and your championship is on Week 17, I'm out. Yeah. I'm out. It's so hard. I mean, look at so look at a game like Carolina and, the, and Saints. the Saints, right? No Drew Brees. Um, Cam Newton gets hurt, so it's, it's Kyle Allen. It was just a mess, and... It was a good mix of like games that actually mattered, but also games that kind of felt like preseason games with all the guys that were you know out of the lineup. Yeah, for sure. That one o'clock window was awful. Like nobody cared about those games. Four o'clock was great. The night game was, was stuck was struck down by Blaine Garrett having to play quarterback. But again, yeah, that was another one like a game that gets flexed because it has so much meaning winning you're in for either of those teams. And Mariota gets knocked out, knocked off. He doesn't end up playing because of of injury. Blaine Gabbert gets a start, and it was atrocious to watch. Yeah, that was really bad. But like before we move on to the teams that actually matter, let's talk on the locals for a minute. Like let's go quickly. Right direction, wrong direction. The Giants going in the right direction. Um, it depends. It depends what they do come the draft. Um, they ended poorly. I thought the second half was better than the first half, but they lost their last three games. Um, they should have beat Dallas. They should have beat Dallas. They they let them back into that game, even though Dallas was without Zeke and several players. Um, but they have an interesting decision to make once again with Eli Manning. You know, they have a lot to think about. Will Eli Manning take a pay cut? Will he, you know, take a seat back if they decide to draft a quarterback? Will they draft a quarterback? What will they do in the first round? So I think a lot of that has to do with how they approach this this upcoming draft. Yeah, they definitely have that. I talked about it on my blog this week. I wrote an article about what the kinds of cards the Giants are looking at this year. They have a lot of options to go through because, like, between – the draft, EY, trading for quarterback, picking up a guy in free agency. There's a lot of guys out there they could look at. Yeah, there's a lot of opportunities for the New York Giants. And again, the skill positions are there. I mean, Saquon will be there. Odell Beckham Jr. will be there. Sterling Shepard, Evan Ingram. Those guys are, are going to be there. They're just, they just need to get a guy that's going to be able to get them the ball. Quarterback is definitely a need there. I don't know, though, if the draft is the right place to find that next quarterback. Yeah, they have a lot of time to figure that out. Let's go to the Jets quick. Right direction, wrong direction on the Jets. Again, this one's going to – it. I'll be able to answer this one better once they hire a head coach. Yeah. Um, if they go with the the traditional coach, the 
probably the most targeted coach right now, I would say, is Mike McCarthy. If they sign him, I think it's the right direction. If they sign someone and try to be fancy, try to find that new Sean McVay, that could come back to bite them. Um, So I think that's going to determine if they're heading in the right direction, wrong direction. Uh, In addition, though, they have a ton of money to spend this offseason, and it's how you spend that money. Are you going to invest in a guy that's going to actually show up, or are you going to invest in a guy who plays like Tremaine Johnson? You know, you you got to weed out the Tremaine Johnsons you, when you're, when free agency comes. You can't take that risk of bringing in a guy that's going to cost that much money to only play 10 games. Absolutely. We're going to get more into the Jets as the offseason goes on. Let's focus on the teams that are actually in the playoffs right now. You brought up before the teams that had nothing to play for Week 17 all going for it. Dallas, Seattle, the Bears after halftime. They all went on to win these football games like – what do you think that's going to bring forward with them into the playoffs? In fact, they went all out of these games. Yeah, I think. I mean, I don't think it's going to necessarily help them for the playoffs. I, it didn't hurt them. Now, if somebody would have got hurt, then you could have been. You could have argued why are they even playing in a game that doesn't matter. Um, I think it helps though in terms of momentum wise. Uh, you see some of these guys with the week off or week seventeen. You know, they take off week seventeen. They come out on wild card weekend and they look flat. Or the or the buy teams that don't play. Uh, you know, you got some players that haven't played in two weeks now by the time they get on the field, and that may affect the way they're playing. Um, I have no problem with it. I was kind of surprised, but again, it's the NFL. It's a sport. You want to be competitive. You want to win. I think for those three teams specifically, it'll be a little bit of a momentum uh, boost going into wildcard weekend. Yeah, I always point to a great example of this, the 2007 Giants, who had obviously had nothing to play for on that Saturday game against New England when New England was going for the undefeated season. They went all out, like lost that game closely, and then went out and win the Super Bowl. So you can always point to that. Exactly. So, you know, it's, it's a good way to end the season and start what is the new season, which is the postseason. Yeah, before we go on to the new season, two teams went out, got eliminated the last day of the regular season with big expectations entering the year. The Pittsburgh Steelers and the Minnesota Vikings, who I think were probably the two most disappointing teams in the league this year. Who do you think was a bigger flop? Um, This one's tough, but I think I, I have to go with the Vikings. And the reason why is this team last season was a win away from a Super Bowl. And they went all in on the big free agent guy. They got who they wanted, Kirk Cousins. They needed a quarterback. They thought Kirk Cousins would be that guy. Now, throughout his career, Kirk Cousins hasn't proved to be that guy, but they were willing to take that risk. And when you take that a risk that big, expectations skyrocket. So going into the season, I mean, uh, it's safe to say that a lot of people pen them in as definitely a playoff team, possibly a Super Bowl, uh, a Super Bowl, a Super Bowl team. At the same time, you cannot afford to spend that much money and throw the season away and not even make the postseason. That is terrible. On the flip side, when talking about the Steelers, though, things kind of didn't play out the way I thought it would, uh, starting with the Le'Veon Bell situation. I thought Bell would eventually would sit out a little bit, eventually show up. I was shocked that he sat out the entire season. And then as we approached, as the season continued, the locker room continued to just go in the opposite direction. Um, I think Mike Tomlin did a terrible job with that locker room. And, you know, look at look at what's going on now with Antonio Brown possibly wanting out. I mean, there's a lot going on inside that is, has affected that team. 
But if I had to pick between the two, I'm still going with Vikings. Yeah, for sure. The Steeler one, to me, is the more fascinating situation. The Vikings kind of are screwed right now because they threw all this money at Kirk Cousins, and now they're kind of capped out, so they can't really add to the roster in place they need to because they guarantee Kirk Cousins' entire deal. So, like, there's nothing they can really do to, like, address all these freedoms they have and bring in new help. Exactly. So they're, they're kind of stuck. But it goes back to making an important hire and bringing in the right offensive coordinator to hopefully make this kind of work when it comes with Kirk Cousins. Um, but on the flip side with, with Pittsburgh, they have options now. They have decisions to make. Do you trade Antonio Brown? What is his value? Um, you know, if you get rid of a guy like Antonio Brown, you lose a guy like Le'Veon Bell, are the Steelers a playoff team? I still think they're a fringe team. I, I think you saw a lot out of Juju. You saw a lot out of James Conner. And because both of those guys are young players and their contracts are controlled, you could still add pieces around to make your the rest of your roster better. Yeah, the thing with the Steelers that's weird is I feel like that team is sort of collapsing around Ben Roethlisberger. I feel like everybody has issues with him and like everybody who's like they're sort of rallying around Ben, the uh, front office in the hierarchy, and like. See, I I don't know necessarily know if it's the if it's Ben Roethlisberger. I think I ha- the the bigger issue here is Mike Tomlin. Yeah, but I feel like with terms of Ben, I feel like Le'Veon's had issues with Ben. AB, we turned, found out now, has issues with Ben. Todd Haley had issues with Ben. I think another, I saw somewhere else, some other else had issues with Ben. So, like, at what point is he the problem? I mean, he deserves some of the blame if he, he's always being the one centered around these issues. At the same time, Ben Roethlisberger has always been an outspoken guy, and he's going to tell you how it is. And if you can't handle that or if you can't uh, take that criticism, then that may be a, a a a knock on you, you know, as a player. Now, depending on what's being said, the circumstances change. But at the same time, I think if Mike Tomlin didn't have a Super Bowl under his belt, um, that this may have ended a little bit differently with him. You know, I think next year he's him and Ron Rivera will be the two coaches that are going to be on the hot seat from day one. I agree. And the Antonio Brown side, because people are not aware, like he did not play in week 17 in their must-win game against the Bengals. They had said that it was a knee injury while he was out. The reports have been coming out in recent days that he did not get hurt at all. He, in fact, that he had basically gotten a fight with Roethlisberger, threw a football at his feet, left practice, didn't practice the rest of the week. So he got benched for disciplinary reasons. They didn't tell that to the media. And then AB left the stadium at halftime of that game instead of sticking around for his teammates. So even though he's a good contract, and even though he's not, he's produced at a very high level, I feel like they might just want to move him to get the cancer out of the locker room. I mean, they they definitely will try to move him. I think at least um, the problem is is the you're looking at a guy that's you know he's going to cost a pretty penny. I mean, what would you be willing to give up for Antonio Brown? Think about what Amari Cooper. The Cowboys traded for Amari Cooper and what they had to give up. So what are you giving up for Antonio Brown right now? Yeah, it's tough because people argue the Cowboys overpaid, and it turns out they didn't overpay. It's like in terms of what other teams might give up, I don't think they want his contract because, like, that's a lot of guaranteed money you're taking on your cap. I feel like they're not going to be able to get his higher return because of that deal. But I feel like maybe a third-round pick is Isaac going to get for him. I mean, next year alone, Brown will be turning 31, and he's going to be owed at least $12.5 million. Yeah. And then his final year, the uh, his sec- second to last year, is another $11 million. Yeah. So, I mean, it's going to be a pretty penny if you want to bring this guy. 
Now, he could be the difference maker from winning a Super Bowl or not. I mean, can you imagine Antonio Brown going to a team like the New England Patriots? Yeah. You know, them ponying up two future first-round picks going all in for the next two years? That wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, Antonio Brown also is acting very weird. I sent you this message yesterday while Mike Tomlin was having his postseason press conference. Antonio Brown posted on Twitter this, this image of himself, and he says, My options may seem limited by peak of our circumstances. It is then that I remind myself I am in command of my attitude. I am divinely blessed with free will. I use that gift, choosing to take charge of my life, to express the creativity, vitality, and wholeness that truly define me. What exactly is he trying to say? I think he's trying to say that I'm going to do what I want to do, and even though it may seem that financially my contract is going to be tough if I have to if I have to make sacrifices to get out of here for a better situation and be respected for the player who I am and the talent that I bring on the field every Sunday, then I'm going to be able to do that. Yeah, well, let's move on from them. The Steelers are their own mess. They might have a new coach next in, in after 2019. Eight new teams, eight teams looking for new coaches this year, which I think is a high in recent years. The quarter of the league turning over head coaches. So of these jobs... Which do you think is the most attractive and which do you think is the least? All right, so this is kind of tough for the the most attractive, and it's kind of like, a to me, a three-way tie. Like They're at the top of the tier, and it has to be the Jets, the Browns, and the Packers. Now, the Jets, because they have Sam Darnold and a ton of money. I mean, I think the biggest knock when it comes to Sam Darnold wasn't necessarily Sam Darnold. It was what was around him. I think if Sam Darnold had better playmakers around him, he would have had a better year. And he sh- he had his ups and downs, but you expect that from a rookie quarterback. If the Jets bring in the right skill players around him with the money, plus him being a young quarterback, you bring in a guy like McCarthy in there to hopefully develop him and bring this team together, I think that's a great spot. Um, another job that I think is great is the Browns. And whoever says the Browns is a great job, we're trending in that direction that the Browns are the team that everyone's going to be talking about when, you know, for most of our life, they're the team that we always laughed about. But Baker Mayfield, you have a talented young defense that is swarms all over the field. Miles Gary, Denzel Ward. I mean, there's a lot of talent on this team. So that's another one. And lastly, I got to say the Packers, and that's just because of Aaron Rodgers. Uh, not every day can a new coach come in and and have the opportunity to coach a Hall of Fame quarterback or a potential Hall of Fame quarterback. So I think th- those three jobs are definitely the three marquee jobs available. Yeah, I think in terms of the best one, I think I would go Cleveland just because they have more pieces on the board, specifically like offense, too. They have a lot of playmakers. Nick Chubb played well down the stretch. You have good receivers in Jarvis Landry and Callaway showed potential, and you have an emerging tight end in David Njoku to get so Baker has weapons, and Baker went like five and two down the stretch. So like, yeah, no, there's definitely weapons on both sides of the ball, and I think the defensive weapons are what intrigues me even a little bit more of that offense. But again, overall, just a young team that's really starting to get it together, and you know that comes with they've been a bad team, but now they've been drafting well, and you're you're seeing it on the field. Okay. Wait, so we talk about this is the best job. What's the worst job on this list? All right, so it comes down to two, and it's kind of a coin toss to me. I think it's either the Cincinnati Bengals or the Miami Dolphins. Um, the Dolphins already said they're not bringing back Ryan Tannehill. So what does that mean for the offense? Who's going to be the quarterback? Who knows? Exactly. That could be a complete dumpster fire right off the bat. Um, they could sign somebody. They could stay within house. They could draft somebody. But there's a good chance that that ends up being a disaster. Um, and that offense wasn't thriving with Tannehill. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's a terrible job and a situation. And I also think the Bengals 
job is a terrible job slash situation. One, because the Bengals, of course, are in the NFC North, right? We just talked about the Browns and how much they're improving. Tough opponent. We just talked about, uh, we haven't talked about them, but I'm sure we will. The Baltimore Ravens. They're they're improving, and they're a great team and a fun team to watch. And then the Pittsburgh Steelers, despite the dysfunction that's currently going on, they're solid still. They still have plenty of pieces to be competitive. You go to Cincinnati, yeah, you have Andy Dalton, but is that really a good enough quarterback to get you anywhere? I don't know about that. A.J. Green getting old. Coming off injury. Coming off injury. Geno Atkins getting old. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, you have Joe Mixon. You have Ross there on the offensive side. But if you don't have guys that get him the ball, uh, I don't think that those two pieces are enough to to be that attractive to to that job. I think for me, I think those two are both bad jobs. I think the worst one to me is actually Tampa Bay. Just because I feel like that you're basically being told that you are stuck with James Winston. So if you don't like him, you have to deal with him for at least another year. They won enough games that they're in. Like I mean, they're five in the draft. They could draft Dwayne Haskins if they wanted, but they won't because they committed to to uh, Jameis Winston. And like the fact is that division is very tough because New Orleans won thirteen games, Carolina was six and two at one point, and fell apart down the stretch. And Atlanta has way too much talent. They're gonna be that bad again. So like you, you're kind of stuck at the bottom of that division too. Yeah, that's a that's another tough job to take to take on, especially because of Jameis Winston. Um. But at the same time, there are some pieces around there. If you bring in the right guy, that could get Winston back on the right track, if that's possible. Uh, sky's the limit there. You know, he is talented. There's no doubt about it. But it seems like he constantly gets derailed. Now, if he could, again, you find the right guy to be on him and be disciplined, maybe we get a different Jameis Winston and it's a different outcome in Tampa Bay. Yeah, last time you were we talked about the game we played with the coaches getting fired midseason. You actually went six out of t- won six out of ten on those. Pretty impressive. Yeah, you correctly predicted the firing of Todd Bowles, Mike McCarthy, and I believe the other one was Dirk Cutter. All right, good. Yeah, you were you also predicted that Jason Garrett, Jay Gruden, and uh, who the last one? You had another guy staying. So you went three three of those there. You did not correctly predict Marvin Lewis, uh, Adam Gase. Or Vance Joseph getting fired, though you were on the fence on Vance Joseph. Yeah, I was on the fence with Vance Joseph. Adam Gase, I'm surprised that um, I'm surprised that I didn't get that honestly. Yeah. Um, and Marvin Lewis, I really wasn't even thinking <laughs> about how, you know, because Marvin Lewis is just the guy we're so used to him going 500, and you know they're fine with him there. But they finally said, you know, enough's enough. It took him long enough. Yeah, the only guy we did not cover was Steve Wilkes, who I did not th- think any coaches would go one and done this year, but that but that's a surprise. Yeah, that was the only reason why I didn't mention Wilkes either, is I didn't think that they would just get rid of somebody after one season. You know, you, you bring in a rookie quarterback, you want to see how he develops. You you, sh- you should give him at least two years to see what, it could, what happens. If the second year is an absolute disaster, you can him there. So I was a little surprised with that. We can play another game. We can ask you to hot predict the eight coaches they're going to hire. I feel like that's a very, very hard game to play. Oh, that's so tough. Come on. You can't yeah, you yeah. can't let me do that on the spot. No, we're going to give you an easier game. It's, it is award season. You have the Golden Globes this Sunday, and it's the NFL awards are being voted on right now. So I'm going to ask you to predict the awards for this coming season. So I think it's an easier game. All right. Let's see. All right. Let's get some fitting background music. Very appropriate. Yep. I respect that. Yep. All right. Let's get it started. Who is the National Football League MVP? Uh, I got to go Patrick Mahomes. What he did this season was absolutely stellar and so impressive that, you know, you can't knock what Mahomes did, and he deserves to be recognized for that. 
fair choice. Tough call him and Breeze. I think Mahomes won it down the stretch. 50 touchdowns, 5,000 yards. Hard to overlook. Unbelievable. Okay. Coach of the year. This one's tough. This one's very tough. Um, I like Frank Reich out of uh, Indianapolis. First-year head coach comes in. The team starts off really bad. They turn it around. Last game of the season, winning you're in, they do it. Now they have a chance to to play on wild card weekend against a Houston Texans team that they've split against. Both close matches. I really uh, tip my hat to him for coming in in that role and, and kind of turning this team uh, in the opposite direction. All right, I go Matt Nagy myself. But that's another discussion. Let's go into Offensive Player of the Year. I wouldn't be surprised if Mahomes got this too. Okay. Um, but... I'm going to be a little bit different here. If it's a quarterback, it'll be Breeze. If it's not, it's going to be Zeke Elliott for leading the league in rushing. Okay. Defensive player of the year. Defensive player, Aaron Donald. 19 and a half sacks. Come on. Okay. Easy. Offensive rookie of the year. Saquon Barkley. I love what Baker Mayfield did down the stretch, but Saquon, you look at that offensive line, you look at how many touches he got um, running the ball, catching the ball. Uh, he was phenomenal. Second leading rusher in the league. He had a great year. Defensive rookie of the year. Derwin James. Very easy choice there. I think it was a very... Well, it was between Derwin James or Darius Leonard from the Colts. I think just Derwin James was just so much more consistent and made so many more eye-opening plays that um, what he was able to do, it, it, it was showcased way more. And last one, comeback player of the year. Andrew Luck. Andrew Luck deserves it. I mean, here's a guy that... Wasn't didn't throw a football for almost two years, and then he comes back, and now his team's in the playoffs. All right, there you have it. Your award predictions for the 2018 NFL season. Just under the gun. Wow. Yeah. We didn't even plan that out. That was impressive. That was very impressive. So just now let's move on quickly to the playoffs. We have seven new playoff teams this year. It always feels like half the league turns over. This year, Steelers, Jaguars, Titans, Bills, Vikings, Falcons, Panthers all out. Ravens, Texans, Colts, Chargers, Cowboys, Bears, Seahawks in. You have a big first, first round this weekend. And for the first time, I feel like for a while now, that Saturday 4-30 game has always been a dud. Either somebody's backup quarterback is playing or two teams we don't care about. But I feel like for the first time in a while, there is no bad game this weekend. No, there's no bad game this weekend. But there are, out of the four games, there are two games that I really have my eye on. My eye on. And Saturday, it... um. And actually, neither of them, excuse me, are on Saturday. Now, when it comes to Saturday's game, I'm interested in the Colts and Texans because I want to see if Andrew Luck has enough in him to lead his team past the Texans. Again, they meet, they play twice during the regular season. Both times, they split, they split the games. Both games ended it in a three-point win for either team. So it's going to be a close game. And for the for that eight o'clock game. Dallas. How is Dallas going to respond in the playoffs? Are they going to be the traditional one and done? Meanwhile, you have a team like Seattle, who has, who I believe won five out of their, out of their last six to end the regular season, or six out of, out of their last seven, and have relied really heavily on the play of Russell Wilson, who's been great. But I'm very, very intrigued and can't wait for Sunday's action. Baltimore and the Chargers. They face off for the second time this season. And I don't know what to think of Baltimore and Lamar Jackson, but Lamar Jackson has been able to turn this team around. He's not a pure passer, and it's evident, but he's getting it done. 
But what I'm most impressed about here is this Baltimore defense. You know, just a few weeks ago, they went into L.A. and they stopped Phillip Rivers in that offense. They're at home now. Why can't they do it again? On the flip side, on the later game, the 440 game, Eagles-Bears. You got a great Bears defense. Can Mitch Trubisky take him to the next level? And then, of course, you have the defending Super Bowl champs. With Nick Foles. With Nick Foles. Exactly. With Nick Foles once again. I mean, like, is this really going to happen two years in a row? That would be crazy. What a better – there's no better storyline in that, especially surrounding a team like the Eagles that just sneaks in. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to all these games. I cannot wait. Before we begin the playoffs, before we get to our NFL picks for the playoffs, win me a Super Bowl prediction right now. A Super Bowl prediction right now? The two teams that get there, who wins? You had to put me on the spot here. Yep. The two teams, I think it's going to be the Patriots. I, I know that's not the popular uh, the popular pick or the popular opinion. People are tired of the Patriots. I think it'll be Patriots on representing the AFC. and the NFC, we're going to have the Saints. And which one wins? I think it's going to be the Saints. Yeah. Interesting thing about the Saints. I saw this today on ESPN's Twitter. In 2009, last time they won the Super Bowl, they were 13-3, and were the top seed in the playoffs, the loss of the Bucks, Cowboys, Panthers in the regular season. This year, 13-3, one seed, loss of the Bucks, Cowboys, and Panthers in the regular season. History often <laughs> repeats itself. Yes. I'll put my pick out there as well. I will be. I said Saints-Patriots midseason. I'm going to vary from that slightly. I'm going to take the Saints. I still think nobody's beating them in the Dome in the playoffs. I'm going to take the Chiefs to get there, to get through the AFC. I feel like that Patrick Holmes is playing well enough to overcome Andy Reid's playoff jinxes and get to the Super Bowl. I'm going to take the Saints to win as well. I just think that this is going to be Breeze's second title. Now, if I wanted to be like very cute with these picks, I would love to see a Ravens-Bears Super Bowl. And the reason why is I love defense, yeah. and I love hard-hitting defense. And that's what you'd get. You'd get, a de- you'd get a terrible offensive game, Lamar Jackson versus Mitch Trubisky. But defensively, oh, man. It would be tough to to get yards in in that game. I, that would be that would be something special. Absolutely, that'd be a lot of fun to watch. Actually, let's move on right now. Show me the money. NFL picks. Want to stick around and do some playoff picking? Let's do some playoff picks. All right, playoff picks coming up right after this. Show me the money. All right, and we're back with Joe D'Alessio. Show me the money. NFL picks for the wild card playoff round. Joe, the first person to come back on the NFL pick segment. Welcome back. Thank you for having me. As always, Mike, love being here. Not a problem. Before we get started, you are a Packer fan. What what were your thoughts at the end of the Packers season, ending with that 31 nothing loss at home to the Lions? It was a terrible way to end the season. Of course, it was a terrible season overall. Um, things just kind of spiraled out of control. There was dysfunction all around. Um, it was very disappointing. Um, and the 31 nothing loss just put the icing on the cake for what was a terrible season. Um, I was actually shocked that in uh, Week 16 that Aaron Rodgers played against the Jets. I was shocked that he played the entire game. I was shocked that he played the overtime period. I thought the minute that the Packers got eliminated that he should have been shut down along with any other player at that caliber, you know, Devontae Adams, um, 
the offensive linemen, Bakhtiari, Matthews, er, everybody who was significant to the future of Green Bay of of the Packers should have been shut down. Um, and I was surprised that that didn't happen. Um, now the next thing is just finding the right head coach, hoping they bring in the right guy and steering them into the right direction. And hopefully, this isn't a a this isn't a rebuild. Rather, it's just you know refining a few things, and they are back to where they should be. Yeah, that week sixteen game was fun. You were there, I believe, right? Yeah, you know what? I was there, but I actually left the game early. Yes, I left the game early. Um, I left with ten minutes left in the fourth quarter. The Jets up by fifteen points. Yeah, that's by a tough the, one. By the time I got in my car because my ride was leaving, um, Green Bay had cut it to five points. Yeah, uh, I I was I was completely shocked that that happened. Yeah, that was a typical jet choke job there, but we're not, we're not going to get into that. That's not the time for this. Also, you mentioned the next head coach. Who do you think that's going to be? Um, I really have no, no idea, but I'll give you my power rankings Who I, you know, from top to bottom. It's going to be Josh McDaniels, number one, Matt LaFleur, who is the offensive coordinator in Tennessee but has ties back to the Rams and, and what he did with Sean McVay and uh, Jared Goff. And another guy that's kind of interesting that kind of came um, kind of late, not late, but is just getting some recognition. He comes from the Saints, and that's Peter Carmichael. Um, I think he's the offensive coordinator there. I think he would be an interesting fit in Green Bay as well. Uh, I'm staying away from the college guys. I don't, I don't think any of them would be ready for this opportunity, but any of those three, I think, would um, would get the Packers right back to where they need to be. What about a guy like Jim Caldwell, who's been a head coach in two different situations with two very talented quarterbacks? Uh, it doesn't do anything for me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, if he was that good, he would still have a head coaching job. You know what I'm saying? Uh, if he had that much success, there was just not enough success around a guy like uh, of Jim Caldwell, Dan Campbell, and Adam and Adam Gaze. Uh, not enough for me to say, you know what, let me go for that guy. Absolutely. Let's move on to the picks. Last week, we wrapped up the regular season challenge. My friend Anthony Calby, he went 2-1 and one on the week. He won with the Chargers laying 6.5 against Denver. He got that correct. He won with the Eagles laying 6.5 against the Redskins. That game was over at the half. He lost with the Jets getting 13.5 points in New England. I think he could have gotten 24 points. He wouldn't have had enough in that game. Yeah, definitely not. <laughs> That's a tough one. Yeah, the Jets no-show in that game did not help his cause. On the other hand, I had a better week. I went 3-0. What's your record for the year? Do you have that? I will get to that in just a second. Okay. I went Last week, I, I had the Buffalo Bills minus 3.5 against Miami. I figured that Miami would not be up for that game. I was correct on that. You nailed it. Yeah, I had the Bears plus five over the Vikings. I thought they would be in that game if they went outright, but they end up doing that. And I had the Colts laying a point and a half against the Tennessee Titans in the Sunday night game. Nailed it. You and, ran away with yeah. it. On the year, the Challengers went 26-23-2. I went 29-22, and so I have won the challenge for the regular season. Congrats. Yeah, it took a lot. The challenges were a tough out. I was behind for a while. The year. I came on late and got my victory there. So You rallied when it mattered most. Yep, I think right around, I think like after, I think 
I want to pinpoint the moment. I think Anthony Sorbellini was here week nine. He went 0-3. I went 3-0 and, and sort of spun the table from there. There you go. Sometimes it just takes a little momentum like yeah, that to yeah. really get you going. Once you get, you know, that's the thing. You get hot, you stay hot, and that's all that matters. It kind of led you through here. All right, so we're going to open a brand new challenge today, the postseason picks challenge. I'm bringing back four or five people from the regular season crew who made picks. You were the first of that group. What's going on? We're going to pick every game of the weekend, all four games, and okay. we're we going to separate this by using confidence points, which is what I use in some of my pools. So, like, we're going to rate each game on a scale of four to one. So, four is your most confident, down to one, which is your least confident. Each game needs to have one of those point values assigned to it. One, two, three, or four. At the end of the playoffs, whichever side has the most points wins. Got it. All right. We're in. I'm in. Sign me up. All right. We are going to go through every game, and we will get started with the first game of the weekend, and that is the Colts-Texans Saturday afternoon, 4.30, ABC, ESPN. Texans there by one and a half points. Joe, where are you going with that? Give me the Texans at one and a half points. My confidence, though, for that game, not very high. It's at a two. Um, the only reason why I'm, I'm leaning more uh, Texans here is just how dominant they've been at home, six and two. Um, they've played the Colts well this season. Both of those games have come down, the, you know, really to the end. But Deshaun Watson... DeAndre Hopkins, I think it's too much on the offense. J.J. Watt on the defensive side. I'm a little concerned when it comes to the Colts with T.Y. Hilton and his health. I think that plays a major role in Andrew Luck in the offense. Um, so give me the Texans, minus one and a half. I think they're going to win outright, but my confidence level, two. That's funny. I have the exact same pick. Texans minus one and a half, two confidence scale here. I think that this Did you game, look at my sheet? I did not look at your sheet. This is done completely independently, but I concern with this game is the Colt pass defense. They play very well against the run, but they're going on the road. Deshaun Watson has the great weapons on the outside with DeAndre Hopkins. He can throw the ball down to Lamar Miller. He's going to make plays with his legs. I think they're going to find a way to win this football game by at least a field goal. So I will take the Texans there, match you point, point for point. Let's move on to our second game. That is the Saturday night game. Seahawks, Cowboys, 8-15 on Fox. Joe, where are you going there? The Cowboys are 7-1 at home. But give me the Seahawks plus two. Um, I'm not convinced that this Cowboys team can do it. Um, they their, their lack of postseason success overall has is really in the back of my mind and is always in the back of my mind. Prove me wrong, Dallas. Prove me wrong. I like that defense a lot. But I like what Russell Wilson's been able to do. I mean, look at this. And look at what Pete Carroll's been able to do with this entire team. I mean, they've lost so many pieces on the defensive end, yet still got it going. Wilson has been phenomenal. Doug Baldwin's starting to get it going. He's got his deep threat in Tyler Lockett. I like the Seahawks. Plus two, confidence level three. Okay. I am also taking the Seahawks. Plus two. But my confidence level is four. I am completely confident they're going to win this football game. I really love the way the Seahawks are playing down the stretch. They have won, I believe you said, six out of seven to get in the playoffs. They played hard to beat Arizona last week. And again, I just do not trust the Dallas Cowboys in the playoffs. I think that Dak is playing a little over his head right now. Seattle's defense is playing phenomenally well. And Seattle can run the football at will. I believe they've run more than anybody in the league right now. I think Seattle wins this game going away. I think Dallas is going to end up going back to the drawing board. Seattle moves on. That's my pick four point confidence on that so we're evened up at that too 
No, you're, I, you only took a three. I oh, three. Excuse me. I, I took a three. You took a four. I All took right. the, the full four, I believe, fully in the Seahawks this week. All right. Let's go on to game number three of the weekend. Chargers-Ravens in Baltimore on 1 o'clock on Sunday on CBS. Ravens are a two-and-a-half point favorite at home. Joe, where's your pick? Give me the Ravens at minus two-and-a-half. I love their defense. I think they were able to they were able to go on the road and stop Rivers. They'll be able to stop them at home in front of their home crowd, and that defense is going to be all over Phillip Rivers. But I'm not that confident. This is my number one pick. This is this is my confidence level here is only a one because would I be surprised if the Chargers went on the road? Absolutely not. This is a seven and one team on the road, so that wouldn't shock me. And it's a rookie quarterback. What are we going to get out of, out of Lamar Jackson? You know, if he plays that poorly, that could be the difference, no matter how good the defense is. Yeah, I am actually going against you on this pick. I am taking the Chargers and the two and a half points. That is also my one point pick, though, so I'm not going to throw the farm on it. But my big factor here is that this is the first team that's seen Lamar Jackson twice. This is the first team that's already played him, seen what they're doing, has the film, and is not going to be able to plan for this. So I think that... Having that second look at Lamar Jackson and that offense is going to be enough for them to find a way to stop him. And I don't think they're going to be able to score enough points. And the Chargers, I know it's a risk going on the road, 1 o'clock, 10 a.m. body time for the L.A. players. But I think the Chargers are going to win this football game, move on to play the Chiefs next week. So I'm going to take the Chargers plus 2.5 points to win the game outright. Last but not least, the 440 game on Sunday, NFC game on NBC, Eagles and Bears. Bears are six-point favorites at home. Joe, where are you going with this pick? I am going with the Eagles plus six. My confidence level four. But the Bears win outright. The Bears win outright. I think it's going to be closer to between a three and a four-point game. I think that Bears defense is going to be way too much for Nick Foles to handle. Especially that he's a little banged up. It's going to be cold. You hit him hard, he's going to be hurting. If they can knock Nick Foles out of the game and Sudfeld comes in, good luck. Um, but I still think the Eagles have enough talent that if Nick Foles stays in the game the entire way through, he'll be able to manage and get up and down the field but not score that much. Again, I'm taking the points. Give me the Eagles plus six, but the Bears went out right. Confidence four. Yeah, I have also taken the Eagles as a confidence three. Uh, the six points to me is just way too big because the Bears are never blowing anybody out. Their defense is very good, but at the same time, the Eagles are one of the hottest teams in the league. I know there's question on Nick Foles with his injury, but like, would you be surprised if the Eagles went in there and won this football game? I wouldn't just because of what Nick Foles and the Eagles have done in the past. I mean, you can't... You can't forget what they just did. Yeah. And, and this is a Bears team where, you know, they haven't been in a moment like this. So who knows? It yeah. wouldn't surprise me. It wouldn't surprise you. And you're getting six points, which it's, is a huge bonus. Well, exactly. Yeah. The only reason I did not put this at the top of my rating is because of my faith in the Seahawks. But I think I'm very confident the Eagles are going to at least cover this number, if not win the game outright. So give me the Eagles to reset the picks. Colts, Texans, Texans, one half point favorites. Joe and I both went with the Texans at a level two confidence. Seahawks, Cowboys. Cowboys here by two. Joe and I both took the two points and the Seahawks, but I am confident level four. Joe, confidence level three. Chargers, Ravens. Ravens, two and a half point favorites. This is where we disagree. Joe has the Ravens. I have the Chargers. Both confidence level one. Last but not least, Eagles, Bears. Bears plus minus six. We both take the Eagles and the points. Joe, confidence level four. I'm confidence level three. 
Those are your picks for Wild Card Weekend in Show Me the Money. How about that? Good luck. Yeah. Thank you. This is going to be a fun challenge going down the stretch This here. is going to be a tough one. It yeah. only gets tougher as the weeks go on. And, I mean, even though you look at these four games, it's, it's nothing's a gimme here, I don't think. You know, I don't say – yeah, I say Eagles plus six and my confidence is a four. But, I mean, I'm like – my stomach is hurting because it's really not that confident. But it's, you know, the one that, that sticks out the most out of everything. I think it surprised me. I took three road teams this weekend. Yeah, I mean, you know, you never know. The playoffs are a completely different season. You don't know who's going to show up, what team's going to outperform the other, and, and that's the beauty of it. Everyone is has the same record at this point. Yeah, Put the, the seeding aside, everyone's on the same playing field. Yeah, and the points we got a premium in this challenge, too, because next week, because this week is four games, next week is four games. After that, it's two and one. So it's going to be like really on these two weeks to try to determine who wins this You got to nail it. If, yeah. I mean, you could nail your top two and then kind of go over, and you might still be in it at the end. Joe, before you go, I want everybody to know how how to follow you on social media again. I know it's a little complicated. Uh, yeah, unfortunately for your listeners, they probably hate hearing this because it, I don't make it that easy on them. But follow me on Twitter at Joe, J-O-E, double underscore. Do not forget the double. Do not forget the double. Double underscore D-A-L-O-I-S-I-O. I know it's complicated. I'm sorry. If you want to follow me, please follow me on Twitter. Yeah, I recommend following Joe. He's very entertaining. Joe, I, thanks for coming on again. Hopefully we can catch up with you after the Super Bowl and see how we did with with these uh, award picks. Stuff a- like anytime. As long as I could beat you in this week one, I don't care how you do the rest of the way out. Yeah, well, you did beat me week two when you were on the podcast. Yeah, that is true. So I want to continue my role. All right, thanks again, Joe. Anytime, Mike. All right, that was Joe Dalizio with your NFL picks for Wild Card Weekend. Up next, the six two minute drill where I'm going to wonder, are the Jessica get this right? Will they hire the right coach? My thoughts on that right after this. All right, and we're back with this week's two-minute drill. This week, we talk about the New York Jets. They finally got rid of Todd Bowles on Monday. Actually, on Sunday. They even wait till Monday. They fired him Sunday after they got back from Foxborough after their disastrous 38-3 loss to the Patriots. They lose that game. Ty Bowles is gone. And the search for a new head coach begins. Now, they have a very wide net cast. They're talking to a lot of different people. They've already interviewed Chiefs offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy as of this recording. They're scheduled to interview Mike McCarthy and Jim Caldwell, former head coaches for the Packers and, in Caldwell's case, the Colts and the Lions. All scheduled to interview Adam Gase, former Dolphin head coach. Also, it asked permission to talk to da- Dallas Cowboys uh, defensive, uh, I think I want to call him assistant coordinator, passing co- defensive coordinator, whatever, Chris Richard. He's on their list. Former TAM offensive coordinator, Todd Monken's on the list. Cliff Kingsbury, USC offensive coordinator. Uh, former Texas Tech head coach, he's also on the list. It's a very deep list of guys, but I don't know if they'll get it right. And the statements I heard from owner Christopher Johnson on Monday after they spoke to the media about Bolts' firing were very concerning to me. Number one, Christopher Johnson does not want to change the power structure, which, in case you are not aware, I've talked about this on the podcast before, I believe with Martino Puccio in Week 12 during the NFL picks, that the structure of this organization is not your typical owner picks the GM, GM picks the coach, coach reports the GM, GM reports the owner. By the Jets side of is that the owner picks the coach and the GM, and they are equals, both reporting to the owner. 
That structure clearly did not work. Bowles and McCagnan were professionals. They made it work as best they could, but you could see that they were clearly disagreements on specific players and how they should be used. Think back to Christian Hackenberg. McCagnan picked Hackenberg in the second round. Todd Bowles never played him. Todd Bowles was right in that case, but at the same time, McCagnan's picking players in the draft this year, like Nathan Shepard, and they picked the guy in the sixth round out of UConn. The guy from UConn did not play a single game this year. And that's a guy you invested a draft pick in. Those issues existed with Bowles and McCagnan, and now the same structure is in place. So this is not this is gonna be a problem. I get that Mike McCagnan is gonna be involved in the search. He's gonna help pick the coach, but you know what? It's an issue when you're defying the odds and you haven't shown you can make it work. I don't believe that the Jets can go outside the box because they haven't shown much creativity in their lifetime and been able to make it work. There's been way too much dysfunction with this franchise. And the other thing that concerned me, after the game on Sunday, Jamal Adams, one of the few pro bowlers on this roster, actually the only true position player pro bowler because you got two special teamers and Jason Myers and Andre Roberts make the pro bowl. He comes out, he says that the Jets need more dogs on this team and more guys who are willing to fight and play hard, which every Jet fan on the planet says, thank you, Jamal. The Jet roster is one of the worst in the league. There is not a lot of talent on it. There's a reason this team has $100 million in cat space because they don't have anybody worth paying on their current roster. Christopher Johnson was asked about that on Monday. He said he spoke with Jamal Adams, and he disagrees because he thinks the Jets have a lot of talent on this roster. Really? Christopher, what team were you watching this year? In the game that Sandal did not play, the offense was completely incompetent. They could not do a thing in the games Josh McCown started. They were decent down the stretch because Sandal made a decent lemonade out of a, out of a lot of rotten lemons. This team also has serious issues in terms of filling its roster. They do not have nearly enough talent on this roster for the amount of money Mike McCagney has had under the cap and the amount of premium picks they've had. Leonard Williams, let's be real, he's been a disappointment. The guy has not lived up to his billing as a sixth overall pick. He's been a fine interior lineman, but he has not been a true game-breaker that they thought he was going to be. Darren Lee, disappointment in the first round, and got spent for steroids at the end of this year. Jamal Adams is in great. Darnold looks good, has a chance to be very good, but this mid-round picks are almost non-existent. McCagney's whiffed on a ton of those. A lot of their free agent signs have not been very good. Tremaine Johnson, speak for itself, guy basically stole $16 million in the Jets this year. Isaiah Crowell, not great. Spencer Long, abysmal center. I can go on and on and on. The point is, these two guys, the GM, and let's not forget, Sam Darnold was not his plan A. Let's not forget, Sam Darnold was not Mike McCagney's plan A. Plan A was to go pay Kirk Cousins $90 million guaranteed. What would that have gotten the Jets? We saw what Kirk Cousins did in Minnesota with better weapons. You think Kirk Cousins coming here throwing to Quincy Enumwa and Rob Ganderson and leading his team to nine wins in the playoffs? I don't. And then your cap room would have been gone when you clearly need help on this team. I, do I trust these two guys, the substitute owner, who has barely been involved in the football operation until recent years and clearly has no idea what kind of product he's watching on the field, or the GM who, by his own admission, needs to improve in multiple areas. I trust those two guys to find the right coach for me. I don't. 
I would love to be proven wrong. You want to go get Mike McCarthy? I would say, you know what, guys? You did the right thing. You got a talented coach with experience who can develop a quarterback. Don't give me Adam Gase. Please don't try and find the coordinator of the month because they've gotten it wrong again and again and again. The Jets have hired exactly one established head coach, I think, about 30 years. That's Bill Parcells. And what happened when Bill Parcells came here? He took a one-win team, won nine games the next year, barely missed the playoffs. The second year, they were 12-4 and four and went with, were within 20 minutes of the Super Bowl. Third year, he had a good team. Had Testaverde blood his Achilles tendon on opening day. Still managed to go 500. That's what an established coach can do. Mike McCarthy, everybody complains that he only won one Super Bowl with Aaron Rodgers, but you know what? He made the playoffs nine times, won eight division titles. What does that tell you? That he's going to get you there a lot, and you'll have a chance to get there, and once you're in there, you get hot, and you can win. I'm sick of this garbage of we're going to hire a coordinator and hope that they work out. Yes, you see guys like Sean McVay, and you see guys like Matt Nagy work out, but you also have guys like your Todd Bowles, who was a hot coordinator hire when the Jets hired him. Turned out to be a disastrous head coach. He's out of football right now. Vance Joseph, hot coordinator for Denver, out after two years. Steve Wilkes, hot coordinator for ours, for the Carolina Panthers, got the Cardinal job, fired after one season. There are way more misses than hits when it comes to the coaching search in terms of going the coordinator route. And the Jets cannot afford a miss here because for the first time in forever, they have a guy who can be their franchise quarterback. They need to pair him with the right coach if they want to get to the Super Bowl for the first time in 50 years, let alone win the stupid thing. My concern here is that if they get this wrong, they're going to turn him into Matthew Stafford. And Matthew Stafford was number one overall pick for the Lions in 2009. He's now 2018. He's been there for a decade. They have not won a playoff game and made the playoffs, I think, two or three times. That is atrocious. And if that's what happens to Darnold because they cannot pick the right coach, it's a complete waste, and his franchise will be back in the dark ages for another 50 years. Get it right. Get the right guy. I beg you, please get the right guy. All right, and that's going to do it for this week's show. I want to thank my guest Joe Dalwizio for coming back on again to talk about the NFL playoffs and make some NFL picks in the latest edition of Show Me the Money. If you want more good stuff like this podcast, including my article looking at the quarterback options that New York Giants have entering the 2019 season, be sure to check out the blog over at justandthesuffering.wordpress.com. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, simply by searching for Just and the Suffering in the podcast store, or on Google Play by searching for Just and the Suffering in the Google Play music section. Be sure to leave your feedback and star ratings in order to make this podcast even better going forward. You can also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-L-I-P-S-331. And tweet me at the hashtag, GetTheRightGuy. He made the end of this week's show. Next week, I'm going to talk a little more football, get more into this Jets coaching search as we find out more about what's going on there. Break down the college football playoff. The final between Clemson and Alabama is going to be on Monday. We're also going to talk a little tennis. Believe it or not, the Australian Open is coming up. I'm going to give you a little bit of information on that. Until then, I'll have a better week than Minnesota Vikings fans. Oh,